Hello, Bitcoiners. Welcome back to the show. My name is Ansel Lindner. This is Bitcoin and Markets. Today, we have a Bitcoin banter episode, formerly known as Community Chat. So this will be the number four Community Chat episode. We just do these on our Discord server. You know, we get in there and we talk and record it and it's it's we get into some cosmic stuff and it's really fun i mean we learn it's like a virtual meetup for my my show it's it's great i appreciate all the guys that join today we have christian randy jeff brady dt coin icarus trust your assets mr paz and myself we get into all sorts of different topics like a little bit on futures uh taxes crypto and taxes drones and futurism and just getting real cosmic with stuff and then uh, bring it back to social contract theory social layer versus markets in bitcoin what is that all about and uh, so that i think that was really valuable to talk about that and we also talk about the 2038 unix bug that Bitcoin will necessitate a Bitcoin hard fork in the future. As far as I know, it's it's must happen at least some point in the future. Bitcoin has to hard fork. So uh, we talk about that. Anyway, thank you to all the supporters out there. If you want to support the show, bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash support. Thank you, Patreon members. I'll see you guys on the flip side. Actually, Jeff, if you don't mind, uh, reference that YouTube video you posted a few minutes ago. The Bitcoin oh. and beyond. Go yeah, ahead. And- so, yeah, so I don't know if anybody's seen that. Uh, uh, fake Satoshi flipped out, got triggered by the. Whose channel is that? It's first I seen of it. Um, who was it? Dark Pill Dan retweeted it. They've been around for a while. They were like they started out as the Beach Boys. Um, when when uh, the the BCH fork happened. And then they followed BSV and then rebranded to Bitcoin and beyond. They've kind of been my little window into the BCH slash BSV world. So, yeah. So Craig got triggered by the retweet bot. So all the people that he blocks on Twitter can follow this retweet bot and still see his tweets and comment on them. And <clears throat> he didn't like that. So he started messaging twitter saying that twitter was in violation of some one of the eu privacy acts um and so he's on this big bitcoin and beyond i only watched the first 10 minutes but boy he was just saying all kinds of outrageous stuff in my opinion let me guess he's gonna sue everyone yep you got it <laughs> everyone who okay. called him a fraud so that that giant thread that uh, Dan Darkpill started a couple days ago, where I think there's like a thousand responses of some variation of Craig Wright is a fraud. Uh, so I, I'm on that thread. I, I expect to be served at some point in the near future. Oh, I think I heard. Um, I was listening to uh, to the Bitcoin and podcast at work today. He mentioned that actually. That's a great show too. Actually, I've been I've been enjoying that. I think I heard about that from Ansel. I find it kind of curious. I mean, you could whip up a Python script <laughs> and write a bot that'll retweet his stuff, you know, in, in like 10 minutes. So I don't know, like, who he's going to sue because it'll just cause like a chain reaction of people just trolling the hell out of him with some Python scripts, you know, easy. 
Well, yeah, and I think that's what his angle was, was, hey, I don't want a bot retweeting me. You guys should be able to see, you know, that this is a bot and do something about it. Um, and he was going off on um, Jack Dorsey had kept, you know, he's on a lot of podcasts recently and he's been repeating the uh, code is law. And so, uh, yeah, Craig was going off about that a little bit. The problem is, is the API, what they're doing to retweet his stuff, it has to exist. It's They can't block it because it's how, you know, people build apps to retweet stuff. So I don't know how that's going to work as far as, you know, him them trying to control this thing or whatever. It's just going to blow up in his face, I think. Well, yeah, and it's if you don't want anybody to know your thoughts, then don't share them. See how solved. What's the possibility that Craig is just playing everyone and he's just trying to ruin his reputation? That's certainly a possibility. Because, I mean, yeah. Maybe he's trying to uh, capitalize as far as being some kind of, like, Twitter martyr. He wants to be censored, so he's trying to, like, agitate some situation to cause him to be some kind of martyr. I don't know if that has some kind of social capital or something. I don't know. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, so why would he be incentivized to this reputation? You kind of cut out. Uh, why would he be incentivized or why why would he want to destroy his reputation? I don't know. Like I've always like had this conspiracy that potentially Craig Wright could be part of Satoshi and the easiest way that he could get people to never believe that he was Satoshi is just to act completely crazy. So <laughs> I, I like, I don't know. That's just a like a crazy conspiracy, but um, I feel like it's not totally unrealistic. Well, he, I mean, yeah, he would have to, he went completely statist. So <laughs> I mean, that would be a good way to, uh, you know, if you're a freedom-minded person that you didn't want to be spotted, acting like a hardcore status would be a decent strategy, I suppose. I I'm not buying it, though. Um, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. What do you guys think yeah, about CBOE? Um... I think it was probably just gave up. Maybe I mean, its volumes were way less than CMEs. Just decided to shut her down. I guess. I mean, I heard that. Don't they have something to do with one of the ETFs that's being filed, though? Maybe they're just shifting gears. Mm -hmm. I could be wrong about that. Coin price didn't care. It's just a pause, right? Yeah, I don't think that they're actually canceling the contract. They're pausing it for a while and they're reevaluating it and they might restart it again with different specs soon. So just a tweak. No, really nothing to talk about. All I right. think it's bullish. Sure. That, that's what I put in the uh, trading chat the other day ago. I was just first thought. Yeah, because I, mean, I saw this as something when... it's like, almost like a rage quit. 
but but it's also like when these financial tools come online for Bitcoin, it's I, I don't think Bitcoin needs it and I don't think it's meshes with Bitcoin. So when they die or they pause, I think it's great because it means that they were ineffective on um, impacting Bitcoin. Although there'll be some uh, people that push back against that and say, you know, the launch of CBOE and, and the uh, um, CME's futures contracts basically were the beginning of the end of the bull run. Um, and maybe the end of this, like pausing the CBOE futures contract now might signal like the beginning of the next run. But, you know, I mean, like the, all those comments from the chairman, I think of the, it's the CME, right? Is the other, the other exchange, yep. the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. Yeah. So the chairman of the what CME. What are the chances that, what are the chances that's ETF? Uh, like they're, they canceled it. So that way they have less conflicts of interest with the ETF. I feel like Antle would know something. Yeah, they do have that ETF, the the Vanex SolidX ETF proposal, which was resubmitted like late January, I think. Yeah, uh, I've yeah, heard I that theory, but um, I don't, I don't give it any weight. Just to comment on something Jeff said, he said um, he doesn't think the futures are necessary or a part of this. And I just want to disagree a little bit, you know, the futures and forwards market options, things like this, their purpose is for hedging. It's for risk management. So there's a lot of um, businesses and things in the space that will benefit from things like futures. It's they, good for mining. Absolutely. Yeah, it's I get all that. I, I get okay. that, but it's just paired with a USD and the long-term vision I see is just going to be, it's, you know, going to be Bitcoin and not paired with the USD thing. But I, I do understand the whole hedging and it, it enables miners to kind of plan a little bit better and sustain their business a little bit better. So, I mean, I, I agree with that. Yeah, it does, of course, open the door to um, speculation as well. Right, guys. Sorry, I'm late. Um, we're talking about futures. And then um, if you guys want to get ahead of the curve, then you could put some stories maybe in the chat. I don't know. And we can hit them in order. I have a buddy that's an investment banker. And the thing with him is, one, he doesn't have time to investigate <laughs> Bitcoin or just the crypto markets in general. I mean, he has large accounts and and that's his primary concern and it has nothing to do with crypto, you know? And I think that that's part of it between just even potential people that would be interested in it, they don't have the time to investigate it. So they're not gonna like put any money in or, you know, do the work that it takes to invest in it or whatever. And the other thing is from his job point of view, like they, he was describing to me like his, you know, workflow, the type of stuff he does. And it is so far removed from anything that's even related to crypto or anything. I just don't, somebody would really have to be highly motivated in that world to even worry about it. I don't know if that 
Does that make sense? Like, I agree with you 100%. It's, um, I used to work in finance, and to the vast majority of the participants, uh, big players in finance, I'm not hearing cryptocurrency anymore. was a joke to them still. It's going to be still a few um, bull runs away from them really taking notice. Yeah, I think the risk is way too high and for I, and they're not interested in risk. They would rather see a 1% gain <laughs> a year and have minimal risk than even putting in the time to investigate any of this stuff. I mean, that, I've talked to I knew this other guy that was a banker too for some old Swedish bank and he would he he kind of he was telling me he did a couple swing trades with like Litecoin and Bitcoin and made some money, but he then he was just out. He just he had like a little taste of what it was, and then he's just back to doing his own, you know, his regular stuff. And that's just kind of the gist between two bankers that I've talked to. They're they're just not interested. Well, they also get paid by. How much, how many, uh, or how many dollars they manage, right? So if they're managing a billion dollars, they don't care if they get one percent or if they get negative five percent. So right. they're they're, it's kind of different motivation. That's true. Yeah. So what's the deal with Canada? <laughs> yeah, they, they would be the, the the first state to request their citizens or anyone they know who's a Bitcoin holder to tell them all their addresses. So that's fun. Way to go, Canada. Yeah. Any Canadians here? Yeah, I'm a Canadian. So I've been watching that a little bit. I haven't seen anything come in the mail yet, but um, yeah, we'll see. I think it, no, I think it might be only part of the audit. So it's when you're audited, they'll preface it with this. I'm not entirely sure on that yet. And they said right now, currently, there's uh, 60 audits underway. So I don't know how deep they're digging for just anybody. I mean, there was 110,000 people who had money on Quadriga. So that's a long, long way away from 60. But still, the whole idea of saying, can you give me all your addresses? Or, and actually, I read the questionnaire. I did find it on. It's pretty in-depth. They want to know quite a bit of stuff. Do you know when they would be sending out? Like I know in the U.S. around September is usually when you start receiving letters from the IRS from stuff that was, you know, that you have to file in April. So I'm curious what the schedule is in Canada. Is it April as well? Your guys' uh, yeah. deadline. It's yeah, the same. Tax season is the same. It's just uh, I don't know when they when they'll send this out in particular. I mean, normally that stuff gets sent out. I think at Christmas, like if you're going to get a if you're an employee, they they'll send out your whatever that. I'm not an employee at all, so I don't get any of these forms sent to me. But yeah, usually right after Christmas, so you have your few months to prepare. And well, I mean, what I do you mean, think we, about that? Jeff, this is yeah. Well, we had that discussion, a little discussion in the Discord chat. Yep. I, you know, I treat the IRS like I would treat law enforcement, and I would not volunteer any information to them whatsoever. 
So it would be like a police officer coming up to me on the street asking where I was going. I would, I would not answer, you know, tell them I don't answer questions. And so I would respond to the IRS. Um, I would respond. Um, and I would ask what obligation do I have to, to answer these questions? So you wouldn't just, if, if this form shows up in the mail, uh, just throw it in the garbage. No, that, that's really not what you want to do when you're dealing with uh, like a tax agency. If they send you a letter, it's in an automated system. And if you don't respond, the system will escalate. And the, the higher it escalates or the longer it goes, the harder it is to get them to stop. So anytime you're contacted by them, my opinion is, is it's best to respond immediately and get the get it while it's on the lowest level possible. Oh, out. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, my internet's bad. I don't can you guys hear me now? I hear you now, yeah. That makes sense though. Like like start the dialogue right away, but you don't respond by here's all my addresses. Respond with with, with questions. Yeah, exactly. I, I would basically ask them, I, I would treat them like a stranger on the street. And if a stranger on the street came up to me and let's just pretend he had a gun and was asking me questions, you know, I wouldn't really want to reveal anything personal. I would be inquisitive to him on, or the person on, you know, what obligation do I have to answer? What, what happens if I don't answer these questions? And if they're going to threaten you with jail time or an, uh, an audit or, or something negative, if you decline to participate, then you can document that. Um, but I would certainly not volunteer anything to them. And, and then I, I would, you know, it, it's, it depends on your situation. If you're a Bitcoiner who has reduced your attack vector to you know, say you don't have a KYC job, you don't have a house in your name, and you don't have a, a you know family you're you're looking after that's in the system. You don't have kids that are going to school, and so they can't really attack you in any way. Then I would be more apt to defend myself and take you know draw a line in the sand and and really right most, you know see most, what they're coming after me with. Yeah, but if you if you have those other things, I think yeah, get I would get a um a tax attorney or an accountant, I don't know really yep. which, which is best. And then, but I would still not even, I would hold them to the same burden, right? Yeah. Um, if he tells me to reveal my addresses, I would ask my lawyer, well, why would I do that? I would almost say con if you're contacted, talk to a lawyer immediately. Yeah, because definitely. the last thing you want to do is lie. Cause that like, like you don't even want to accidentally lie to them. So I, yeah. I would, but the, no, the problem with no, that no. is, is you don't even really know what type, what type of lawyer you need. I mean, uh, most of the lawyers aren't, well, you know, they're not going to know anything about Bit any lawyer you contact is pretty much going to tell you to comply. Actually, Look, there is a, there is a cryptocurrency tax lawyer in Toronto. There's a couple that you can call a consultation with a yeah, but I'm willing to bet you know more about the yeah, I probably do. space than, than, than he does. Yeah, but he understands the tax and, and the things specifically. So he, Yeah, but it's not, it's not a question of the tax code here. It's, no, it's not. Yeah, so it's more of a, you know, uh, he's, he's, he has a, a license, you know, he's, if it's a lawyer, 
he's a board member, which means that he has a license by the state to 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 give advice, and uh, he he can't say certain things or or tell you to do certain things. Um, so they 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 almost always tell you to comply. Yeah, and you can't use that. Um, you can't really say, well, look, I want to know why what they're relying on to say that these tax codes apply to me just because you know i have control over some private keys yeah. right now we're in this abstract space here where we need to start defining a bunch of terms and um you know it's like good luck with that well, the interesting thing about compliance here is that that i think it could be risky to comply um for example i thinking of it from for their angle if if they've already got some of my information say and i have a bunch of addresses and one i've forgotten about and i don't put it on there well now i've I've complied. I've given them, I've said, Hey, this, this is the way it is. I, I agree with you being able to, I give you the authority to ask me these questions. Here's my response. And I've, I've omitted something, let's say by accident, but to them, I didn't declare something. I now, now I've lied to them. So that, that's, that's a concern. So this goes back to when you say you should respond, but make sure you only respond with questions, but complying could be very risky. And it seems like some of the questions, like, are, you might not even be able to respond to them. Like, the question about mixing services and tumblers, right? So it's like, what services do you use? Can you please provide us with the tracing history? Yeah. Like, what does that even mean? You can't. Yeah, what, what user can actually do? Break it yeah, down, especially is, in, in a coin like, join. But it's actually that one question. It was like nine yeah. questions. Yeah. Just yeah. back to back. Why do you use them? Yeah. Yeah. Why are you using these services? Yeah, like those questions, why would anybody, like even if your lawyer told you to answer those, and the question is, is have you used a mixing service like Shapeshift? And yeah, they're talking so about like funny at the very end of the type stuff, I think, in that question. But yeah, I mean, Perhaps. you use it for to increase your anonymity and so that you can't, <laughs> you know, know what, what my so you fuckers can't track us. <laughs> Do we have a sample of this questionnaire? I, I'm actually looking for it, and I can't seem to dig it up now because it was actually like a, somebody just taking pictures of it. Like uh, yeah, I'll only post version it. Of, here it is. I'll you got it there? Yeah, I'll put it in the general. Yeah, it's, it's it. worth reading it because Canada may unfortunately be the first to do this, but it's probably coming from for everyone. When's it coming to the U.S.? Probably Sorry, this year. Is it me that's cutting out? I can't hear you. You think so? Yeah, I mean, I I talked about we talked about uh, Matt O'Dell and I talked about this last week, and he he didn't wait like put a guess out there on when it would happen, but he just said it will happen at some point, almost undoubtedly. So that we should be getting ready for that. I'm willing to bet there will be a U.S. person that's audited that has crypto. And they will be asked very similar questions. And one yeah. thing that's important with all these laws, you know, even these these things, you know, bills or laws being statutes being passed in Wyoming, you know, that really doesn't mean anything until somebody actually goes to court and challenges it. You know, laws are proven unconstitutional all the time, and and then you know they get rid of them. I'm just throwing you that out there. Have you guys listened to the, it was the uh, beauty on thing where he went through the Wyoming law. Like if you really go through it, it's super, super vague and pretty much means that like 
anything could be an asset they consider a virtual currency. Hmm. I haven't I listened to it, but yeah, that sounds, you know, that probably sounds legit. That's how they write these things. Go ahead, Ansel. I was just going to say, I didn't hear that. I'll have to listen to that. Um, but I'm not a big fan of the Wyoming thing anyway. Um, you know, the best thing is just tell them to stay out of our business. Um, in this uh, tax discussion, I think, like kind of Jeff always says, is um, you want to de-escalate. Right. So that's why you call them immediately. You're like, well, I kind of want to see uh, how this applies to me. Can you send me that information? And they're like, well, oh, well, it's because it's just going to be some pleb that's on the other end of the phone and and they can't answer your question. So you're like, OK, well, can you deescalate this while you get that information to me and, and yada, yada, yada. So you're constantly pushing it out, pushing it out, pushing it out. And you're staying one step ahead of their automated system. So like, yes, it takes some work, but I think a single guy with a low attack vector uh, or attack surface can probably push us out years, years and years. And then who knows where it's going to be in that time. And, and let's be honest, no, no one's going to prison or jail at filling out a questionnaire or giving some, some Bitcoin addresses over. You, right. you would have to be doing some other bad shit in order for that to be the reason that you're going to get in trouble. So for the most part, 99% of the people, I, I don't think it's a big issue um, unless you willingly voluntarily give the information to them, then you might have a bad time. That, you know, it might take a couple years for that bad time to come, but yeah. And um, for the U S I think that will come when, when was the, because remember Coinbase, I, it was during the bear market, I believe, like 15 or 16, when they said they were going to start reporting or filing paperwork for transactions that were over $20,000. Um, and compared to the all-time all high at that time, I think it was a couple years after that. Um, so maybe a couple years after this all-time high, they'll have something similar where they'll want maybe your addresses or something like that. But yeah, I can see this, this kind of like coming out of left field from the IRS, not this tax season, but maybe next. So I'm assuming that you guys don't trust Coinbase at all. What other exchanges, like, like what's your opinion on Square? What's your opinion on Gemini? Do you guys trust those exchanges? No, I don't trust them. Like as far as your name being associated with Bitcoin, I don't, I don't trust any of that. Yeah, if you want Coinbase information, what's happening? And get that. Yeah, and so what they they'll trust you know, you're cutting out. By I the haven't way. heard anything else. I didn't trust yeah, you're trust, still cutting out. Yeah, trust you might want to do a push to talk or something because it sounds like your mic's only picking up some of the words. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Oh, okay. No, I was I was just saying I got that letter from You got a letter from Coinbase? Yeah, I, I basically qualified as one of those people with transactions. Not this oh. year, but but nothing's come off it. Yeah, with the large transactions from the past. Um I think that yeah, that's still in effect. Um I I have 
thankfully never done a transaction that's over $20,000 with Coinbase. So I've never gotten anything like that. But um, I, I've talked to people that have, and yeah, it's scary, man. But with the tax stuff, um, everybody has their own risk, risk tolerance. And we, I think we all can agree that taxation is theft. I hope we all agree. That, I don't know if we do, but I agree. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say it is. And, uh, but we all have our own risk tolerance. So uh, we all kind of have to make an educated decision in that regard. I think, I think it's important that we share information and I think people are pretty good about this, but if someone is being attacked, you know, I'd hope that they would raise their hand and, and speak up and, and, um, what helps when you're, you know, defending yourself against bureaucrats is having people on your side and behind you. So if someone's going into court for a hearing, I mean, even just having two or three people is big. I mean, if you could have 20 people show up, that would be even bigger. And having people talking about the situation on the social media helps. So um, I don't know. It's, it kind of sucks if you're being attacked. You don't really want to put yourself out there. But um, I think uh, we're all going to need to rally behind each other and when, when the time comes. Because they will come after the Bitcoin, I'm sure of it. Any more on this topic? Well, one of the things I've been thinking about is like, we could discuss like cold wallets and all this stuff. But the thought in my mind is, is how do I secure this stuff where my mom can figure it out? That's always a question for me. Because we could secure this stuff, but if some if our heirs or whoever if they're not technical enough it's dead i mean it's a dead asset if people can't figure out how to access it you see what i'm uh, i don't know i have have you all like thought about this i have there's there's a really good book that's why uh, i like sorry there's a good book by pamela morgan called uh, crypto asset inheritance planning i recommend reading that it's a pretty simple read um takes you right through it nice big print um good start anyway i think everybody gets their own plan in mind uh to a certain degree and it doesn't like structure it in a perfect way for you exactly but it really really helps with a lot of the principles of what you can do to make sure a they get the money when you die but definitely not before you die that's really the trick repeat that title again please it's a crypto asset inheritance planning by pamela morgan all right, thanks. It's definitely, I agree. It's definitely a problem, you know, and it's early. So I, we're going to be the first generation to kind of have to deal with this. So I, I don't think there is a. Trust you're cutting out there again. You said, I don't think there's, and then that's all I heard. Oh, I said, I don't think I've heard a good size of custodian. Yeah, uh, good solution other than a custodian. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. Just educate your close family and friends, you know, so that when they do come across an open dime or a ledger or something, um, they have some idea what they're dealing with. And then, you know, in a safety deposit, and then you can write uh, in your will, maybe uh, like a safety deposit box with, say, a pin to a ledger or something like that. So, the only problem is then the lawyer has. Right. 
Yeah, that's that's true. I don't know. It's it's a hard problem. I think the uh, like these uh, multi sig key solutions that are coming out, like Casa's Keymaster uh, service, can really help on this front too because it makes it pretty easy. And then there's like actually a service that you know, like the instruction could just be like open up the Keymaster app and contact Casa if I die. You know, <laughs> like they will walk you right. through what needs to be done. And it, and then it's it's seedless too, uh, which is pretty sweet. So you don't have to like explain like what a seed is and a wallet is and all that stuff to anybody. I was going to say that multi sig is going to be uh, answer. It's just about multi sig and UX. Eventually, it'll all come together. Yep. Still have a problem with with the multi sig. Still have trust. I guess you got the question is is what who do you trust more a third party custodian or a loved one in the family? I feel like it's impossible to get away, get away from trust completely like even if you're going to do it yourself you need your web of trust within your family or whatever. Web of trust, great words. I think that is the key. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's your safest bet because everybody's got somebody that they really think they can trust and if you can put two people together that you trust to give them each half the information they need. Uh, it's even better if they don't know each other at all. Can you guys hear me at all? Just wanted- Yeah, That's you're loud now, but you're uh, echoing. You know, one method I would think might be possible is uh, you could say you have a loved one or whatever, a potential heir to some crypto or whatever, and you tell them, you have a physical cipher, like a book or whatever, and you tell them what the physical cipher is, right? You maybe you even give them, like, say, a book or something like that, and right, and then you have a lawyer that holds the document, so that so the lawyer never knows what the physical cipher is, and that they can be the custodian of said message that gets deciphered by the loved one, but the lawyer themselves never know the cipher. They're just in charge of, uh, you know, executing some kind of will, which includes handing over certain documents that they'll never be able to decipher, but your loved one will when the time's necessary. Yeah, I think that's a good solution, but that should all be replicatable in cryptography. Yeah, but I'm talking about mom being able to do it. I'm talking about a a solution that doesn't rely on any technology, like mm-hmm. a physical book with a physical message that can be deciphered that yields some kind of passwords or whatever you need to transmit after your death. It's a good one. Like a court of law could issue out the will through that. Something mm-hmm. a court of law could do, maybe. I don't know who I who said it earlier, but yeah, it comes down to us. You're gonna have to trust somebody. I just think trusting a, someone that you're gonna give it to anyway, just educate them personally, and and get them up to speed is better than relying on you know third party, like a custodian. You know, one thing I think that is gonna be huge in this regard is fiction, and. We need to have, get some fiction going on with different Bitcoin stories and how you hand keys around to like 
one of my favorite books of all time is the Count of Monte Cristo. Um, and weaving a story like that, but with a like open dime or, or some shit that would be so freaking fascinating. Yeah, man. I've, I've had these thoughts too. Like I would love to, to write some, some Bitcoin sci-fi. Like there needs to be more of that stuff yes. or at least read it. <laughs> I want to read it. Um, yes. well, I don't the, know if I have time to write it, but there is just this, insert. Uh, go ahead, Christian. I was going to say, just insert Bitcoin into all the pre-existing sci-fi. <laughs> some Philip K. Dick. Yeah. And there's, Philip. there's some, uh, there's some Neil Stevenson stuff that gets pretty close, you know, like cryptonomicon and, uh, yeah. there's a couple others too that the uh, reamd where they like have this sort of virtual world and there's a there's a currency in that world and so they, he definitely gets into some crypto stuff yeah cyberpunk and uh cypherpunk needs to become the next the next genre um the, there is this old really old audio story i don't even know if it's a if it was a book i think it was just a like a podcast some guy did that was like 10 episodes long. I, I will find that and share that with, with the, the server here because it was, yeah, like some kid was mining in his parents' basement and he passed out and he woke up uh, like a week later and Bitcoin had gone to the moon. It was like the only currency left. <laughs> and the whole, yeah, it was really, really cool. Talk about hyper Bitcoinization. Yeah, and and like the the girl in in his high school class that he had a crush on, like was coming to ask to do sexual favors to get some Bitcoin, and it was just it was a really really good like man, it was probably back in like 2014 or something that this guy wrote this. I could see a uh, Edgar Allan Poe meets Satoshi Nakamoto and, you know, it's some kind of like play on the Raven or something and Satoshi's coding away and he gets drunk and there's some like Raven or something and he falls asleep and spills a beer on his computer and loses his keys. I could, I, and then the Raven kind of like, <laughs> well, yeah, there, there has to be, there has to be uh, I mean, Everybody always talks about how, uh, well, not everybody, but I, I have I've subscribed to a few YouTube channels that they they diss on art and things like that. But there is a role for fiction and art, and um, just look at what uh, crypto graffiti has done with Bitcoin and memes uh, are a modern form of art. So uh, I think that that could play a huge role in the future. And we, we've, we've only like touched the surface of this because yeah, when, when the first uh, Bitcoin thriller comes out, that's, that's going to be huge. And it could be huge for like cold storage because it's going to explore these ideas and, and these authors are going to really dig in and, and talk about the limitations and the, the benefits or whatever, you know? It reminds me of this uh, this movie that was announced. I saw a tweet go out this past week about it. Um, there's a movie called Crypto with Luke Helmsworth that's coming out. Um, just it's some kind of like action uh, mystery movie, but it involves cryptocurrency in some level. And then somebody tweeted out that that it looks like this means that we're in about 1995 because that's when the Net came out with Sandra Bullock. If you guys remember that movie, 
Um, right. <laughs> so there's like, we're at the point where there's a kind of, uh, I don't know, a, a movie that with a very loose understanding of what's going on here is, is coming out and hitting the mainstream uh, finally. So it blows my mind when people say that Bitcoin is like, has not achieved anything. Like looking at 10 years, like from inception, there's movies coming out about crypto. There's an entire industry. There's futures coming out. It's just incredible. Like, what this like bootstrap network has achieved. Speaking of the future, I was just talking to where I was coming from tonight. Uh, I was talking to an old military buddy and he's retired now. He started his, uh, he started his own business with a drone company, but he's also like consulting with satellite people that want to watch satellites because uh, the battlefield, I guess, quote unquote battlefield is, going that way drones and satellites and he was like oh the the terrorists are going to get satellites and i'm like well dude they already have them i guarantee you they're using satellites and um uh, will it be monetized will will there be (laughs) pop-ups as you're like watching this (laughs) military like stream from a drone like they'll be monetizing that shit (laughs) yeah i don't know why i bring this up other than like the future is going to be a lot different than we think. And it's, it's going to get very adversarial because the way he was talking about it is like, these guys are using drones. Like in the past, they used to use these IEDs. So they put a bomb on the roadside or something. Now they're, they're using drones. And and the minute you stomp down these drones, it's going to be satellites. They're going to take out, they're going to have uh, hunter-killer satellites. W- within a matter of years, that's going to happen. Anyway. I'd, you, you know, we'd, you're talking about the future and drones. Well, I'd post, I don't know if anybody read it, but there's, I posted an article about the future of dark net markets, and they talk about drop gangs, where basically the distribution of goods that you buy on the black market, you know, like... Instead of it taking place on the dark web, it's going to take place in like Discord servers, and um, people are going to sell locations of where. So, say you want to buy a book that's illegal, and so somebody goes and hides a book, say somewhere out in a forest. We'll just say, um, and then you sell that location to the person, and the person can then go get the book. But they were talking about even you can even do this with drones. You can have the drop zones on top of buildings where people go pick up their goods. And that way there's no takes out like violence in the marketplace. Um, when you bought stuff on Silk Road, you, you had to give your an address to the vendor. And now you no longer have to give a name or address. It, it doesn't even go through the old postal service. So um, but that's pretty interesting. I don't know if you guys want to talk about that at all scroll funds for the drop markets you know i'll relate this to something that happened today then i live in a decent neighborhood you know but there's like this gas station like right there and you know people do whatever there, right and so some of this shit spilled over into the neighborhood and literally probably 30 feet away from where I'm sitting right now, two people were shot in some kind of drug deal that went bad. And 
the neighborhood's a nice neighborhood. It's not, you know what I'm saying? It's completely unexpected, but this kind of like ties into what you're talking about is in the future, people won't even, they won't even have to take the risk of having some kind of like bad drug deal or something. Um, yeah, exactly. I don't, I'm, go ahead. Wait, and to be fair, I mean, the, so the merchant could still, uh, you know, do surveillance when you go to the pickup from the drop zone they can still see who you are and they could still attack you but yeah you're right if you send the payment first which you do then you know they they won't even that won't even happen and you could also send somebody they were you know they're talking about this is going to open up a whole new um job market so instead of kids delivering papers they're going to be servicing job, drop zones and like you might have like you know your your one friend out of the group might be the guy that goes to pick up the the stuff like that might be his job so then you still don't have to take that risk of going out in public you know you just pay somebody else to do it yeah the interesting you... oh sorry go, go for ahead. it <laughs> okay uh i was just going to i was going to say that you could also like apply onion routing to all this stuff too to like increase layers of anonymity so like imagine you know, you have your like your lightning node here at home. You're running everything on solar panels. You got your mining equipment going, and you know you're you're kind of like you got your own little sovereign, you know, citadel going. And on your roof, you've got a few uh, like onion routed delivery drones. So like a a drone will come and drop off a package, and like it will tell the next point in tell your drone that you know it's like next location, but it's like you know five or six drops in between, and that your drone knows like the, where it's going next, but it doesn't know anything about its final destination. Doesn't know where it came from. Um, and and you could do that with people too. You know, like uh, you know, instead of kids having a paper route, you'd have uh, you know kids uh, onion routing packages or whatever um, all over the place. It'd be it's interesting. I was gonna say that I always think about like Bitcoin and proof of work as creating a better. Um, better power generation network and uh and, and infrastructure because it creates the right incentives and it's when like listening to you guys talk about this like potentially like this could revolutionize how we you know build out a you know delivery network is you know through these through these kind of markets and peer peer to peer and onion routed uh type uh type of like delivery and resource allocation methods like it could totally revolutionize how we do this kind of stuff yeah i mean yeah. It, it, it can it's it's um it seems to be incentivizing decentralization in general because and, and allowing for that kind of that kind of technology yeah because some some kind of like i mean i could i, I would be incentivized to run like onion routing drones because i'd get a little payment uh for each hop that my drone like you know uh carries or executes um, and then you can just, you know, use the, use the web. You can find out, like you can use your web of trust, you know, you can use your friends like that, you know, in the real world, uh, you could use their, their drones own, like exclusively, or you could just like, there'll be reputational scores or whatever for people's drone systems, you know, and you could only use like those, uh, hops that have extremely high like ratings and stuff like that. And all, all of this is just taking power out of the you know hands of of centralized like corporations and governments who have handled deliveries forever because it need, it was a problem that was so big that it had to be centralized uh, but that's just not going to be the, that's going to be the case less and less 
Uh, and Bitcoin's going to be a big reason why. The internet, of course, too. Well, I think it's uh, more the last mile, right? So yeah. I think FedEx will always, at least companies like that, I mean, there, there is a lot of efficiency to route through a central hub, mm-hmm. you know, and they do that with the, the packages overnight and stuff. But then that last mile, at least uh, for privacy sake, is mm-hmm. going to be the drone. So these drones aren't going to be flying um, 500 miles or anything. It's, it's going to be where, yeah. uh, like from where you're sitting right now, four blocks away. But within that four blocks, there might be five hops or something like that. So um, it's just going to be a, a buzz of these drones overhead. So I don't know. The government can stop that. Obviously, if, 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 the, if the, the cloud of drones is too thick, then there's probably going to be some sort of regulation. But um, you always have to just think, you know, you want to make it more expensive for them to to stop something than it's worth, right? So I don't know. Drones aside, I just want to throw out one more thing here. Imagine this. So you order something off Silk Road and you can get it the same day. You can get it an hour later Mm because the product's already going to be, you know, the the merchant can already put the product out in the wild and he's just selling the location. Like that's what's so crazy about it is you can buy something like that and, and get it in an hour and you don't have to give your name or address up. Like that's kind of crazy to think about to me. Pretty awesome. So then I think the, the key is to be able to do it privately. And that comes down to not being able to track the transactions. Yep. So it all works. It all works until some kid with Pokemon or something like stumbles (laughs) upon some package, some package in a cemetery. (laughs) In a cemetery. (laughs) Well, that's the difficult part is you don't, you don't want to use the same drop zone regularly because then people will know. So I, that's the one problem I was thinking about. And I, we're in, I mean, me and Ansel are in the same city, and it's pretty spread out. But I have a hard time thinking of a... You might have to think of a hundred, or I'm sorry, a thousand locations a year, depending on what you know how much business you're doing, or more. And that's a lot of locations to keep track of, and they have to all be unique. AI, man, AI. <laughs> I mean, the, the way I see it working, though, is some FedEx or UPS truck, right? You know, they have all these packages, but then on top, there's like a whole array of like drones. And as the UPS truck is driving through the neighborhood, like <laughs> either the truck is just automated or there's a real driver. But then the driver doesn't even have to get out of the truck because there's this these drones flying to the like house that's like right there and then flying back. And so that's the way I, I don't see any like long distance because of what was said. It's, it would just be noisy, you know, but I could see a truck with some drones where the efficiency, where the truck doesn't have to stop. And these drones are just dropping off packages at the door and then flying right back to the truck. So the truck never has to stop. I could see that that would be an efficient use of drones. That's pretty cool. Trucks are like portable charging stations driving around. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of these things are deploy centers. Like little aircraft carriers driving through neighborhoods. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. 
a lot of these things are probably meant a couple decades away at least. And um, uh, so what would be the first step? I always think of like, you know, for example, I, I, I thought my kids were not going to have to learn how to drive and they have like five or six years until they're going to have to learn how to drive. I thought, you know, these self-driving cars would be all over the road, but I don't know if that's going to happen right and now. I'm, I'm kind of iffy on that. And uh, so what would be like the first implementation of these drones? I mean, other than the censored transactions and censored deliveries, like from the darknet markets, uh, where would uh, grandma use drones first? Or is that a bad question? What was the question again? Sorry, I was typing. Where, where's the first um, like mainstream implementation of drones like we're talking about? Or... Well, I'd say the just like what um you brought up the the criminals um if if and I've seen the same thing where uh, articles or videos where terrorists are using drones uh, now for attacks right you know and like so no you know it's gonna reduce the number of car bombs and shit but then I also see delivering of illicit goods I know uh, that's a, how a lot of drugs get in prison drones dropping shit off check this out i think we mentioned time was the uh, drone submarine i imagine there's going to be a huge market for these drug cartels to be (laughs) they'll be buying up some uh, drone submarines to uh sneak uh their product and stuff into different parts of the world so i mean that's a little i could see that happening these cartels with drone submarines for delivery. You know, they're actually I, relatively small. I think like some of these drone submarines were like less than 20 feet long, but it could probably deliver some goods. It could sneak through the Panama Canal. Oh, it sure. Could, it could sneak yeah. up a river. Like I could they're see a lot that. less noticeable than, than drones in the air too. Probably a lot harder to track something underwater than flying through the air. Yeah, that's Absolutely. the biggest problem I think with with drones, flying drones, is that the noise. People aren't going to like that. Well, and I'd be terrified if I had thirty drones above me all the time. Like, I mean, especially if there was a fall. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I think to, to answer your question, Ansel, though, I think the first application is going to be probably someone like something like Amazon. Yeah, I, I know that they've they've already done some testing. Um, but I bet they'll roll it out to some municipality, um, at, like that, and that'll be the first kind of commercial application of drone delivery. But yeah, I think the big the big problem is like safety and noise. Those are the two big problems that got to be resolved. Mm-hmm. I think Elon Musk discussed that, and what that's the whole point of him doing that boring machine. Yeah is because he basically or studies concluded that we're not going to have flying cars. Yeah. And because of the noise and just the safety issues yeah. and a lot of that infrastructure is going to go underground because right. it's just safer and people just won't have it. You know, they're yeah. not going to more, more peaceful on the surface <laughs> that way. That makes sense to me. But it is it, it is a lot cheaper to fly through the sky than it is to dig a bunch of holes. But I guess that's we'll put, 
how about this? Put the two ideas together. If we have like underground, like tunnel infrastructure, why wouldn't the drones fly in the same tubes that the cars are in? And, you know, and where people on the surface and they're just kind of enjoying their day while there's a highway buried in the uh, ground where all the drones and cars, you know, are doing all that stuff under the ground. Right. I could see it like that. Yeah. We're also, we're also picturing today's flying technology, you know, so who's to say that going forward, we don't figure out a, you know, a better way to fly where we're actually not making any, you know, any noise at all or very little sound. Well, well, aren't they making some pretty good, uh, developments with the, uh, superconductors so i mean i'm i imagine they won't have propellers i know very little about this but i find it super interesting and i I just like i wonder why we haven't focused you know more effort into figuring something out like that that just makes way more sense i'm sure someone's focusing some efforts on it i'm sure the military's got the quiet drones and they don't want anybody else to have them yet right Right. Yeah, this this guy I was talking to about his uh, drone thing. Uh, Well, it's been several years now, and they are definitely playing drone games. So the FAA and Homeland Security, they are doing things with drones and defeat these drones. Because did you see that in the UK where that a couple drones put down that airport for what what was it three days no no air traffic went through that airport and so the military is very up on that and they're studying it for sure sounds like a cool television show battle bots it'd be like awesome to have that with drones you know and every like drone has a like a 360 cam and you know, you could just see them like shooting each other and stuff. Oh man, I have these little, I have these little uh, indoor like just play drones, toy drones. Right. I bought a two pack, and and they have like a little infrared beam on them and, and a button to fire, just like a little remote controlled IRB or uh, infrared beam, basically. Right. And they are so freaking fun, man! Like it's it's just a really good time. You fly around and like just dodge and shoot, and and uh, you know your your control vibrates when you. Uh, when you get hit, it is a good time. I it's could amazing. see like a, a capture the flag type game show with drones. That's kind of like how I see it. Yeah, there's I mean, a I drone can... racing league. Have you seen that on YouTube? Yeah. Have, yeah, those things are pretty sweet. But yeah, it would be fun to instead of just like racing, it would be fun to see something like capture the flag or some kind of battling scenarios. It's crazy that the technology is so advanced already that you can afford to just get two in your house, like. Oh man, they, they were like on sale. It's incredible. At, yeah, they were on sale at Office Depot for like twenty five bucks or something. Wow. And then yeah. we'll get the weaponized versions for like a hundred. <laughs> I was just, I was just gonna say, just think of if you had some incentive to to weaponize them. Like, yeah, well, it's a BB very, very gun cheap. would be awesome. Put a BB <laughs> gun. <out. laughs> well, that's a. You were talking about TV shows there, Randy. It's like there's one show called Colony that has. It's a these aliens come down and take over, and they've got all this super gear, and they have these drones, and these drones are terrifying because they have weapon on them. They're unstoppable. Right. They, they move at lightning speed. They show up. They're, they're 
they're perfect. They're so precise at everything they do, and they just kill you. They're unbeatable. All right. It's terrifying to think about weaponizing these things. Well, yeah, and there's there's new companies out there that are programming drones, right? So, like, let's say you want to survey. My buddy was saying that there's companies that survey remote islands where they're looking for, like, species of plants or something that are endangered or extinct, they think are extinct. And so then they just survey this island with a drone where it used to take a man <laughs> uh, months to look through sure. this whole entire island. and uh, yeah, so you, you can just program a flight plan into this thing and send it going. One of the scariest things he was saying was like make the makeshift bombs that they're putting on these things um, in war zones is they'll like take old grenades and they'll put like badminton feathers on them. Oh, right? shit. And then they'll just drop them off of these drones. And they're very, very accurate for like 25 bucks wow oh god it's such such a decentralized attack that there's no way that you can stop that as i saying and they're quite programmable right like it's i know the the ones you can buy for about 1500 bucks to shoot videos of your family while you're on your boat or whatever can you can have it lock on to any one person and it'll follow you and it'll take six different camera angle shots of you all pre-programmed and you can switch it to look at another person so these things can be set to track someone at a distance. Just lock on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and ranchers are using them on their farms to keep track of their cattle. So um, <laughs> it, awesome. it's pretty, pretty amazing. That's a much better use than killing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, hey, Brady, do you want to um, get into our conversation earlier on Twitter? Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. I, I had to pull up the tweet because uh, I don't remember my exact wording. How are we doing on time? I, I'm good. Or if you guys are good, you can bounce anytime. Uh, I'm probably, good. Unless we could end with this conversation unless you guys want have something else to talk about before. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> see where this one goes. Rush. I'm not in a rush either. What's the Twitter conversation about? I missed that. Okay, so I said my first... and Okay, so I tweeted this hoping to get some pushback from people. And uh, Brady was really the only person that that pushed back on me. So uh, that was cool. I said, the most scarce good in the history of the world is not a social contract. And because I've, I've seen a lot of things recently about social consensus and social contract. And that's kind of coming into Bitcoin. And I want to push back on it because I don't think that's the case. So anyway, then, then Brady responded to me and um, do you want to just maybe paraphrase or you could read your tweet, whatever you want to do there, Brady. Yeah. So I talked with my friend Tommy on our, on the citizen Bitcoin podcast uh, few weeks ago about this yeah. idea and it, you know it, it's out there in and being talked about um amongst bitcoiners this idea of a social layer um i think it was i think it was hasu who wrote a piece about how there's this kind of like you can kind of compare it to the idea of a social contract yes and i i don't i don't really like the comparison because i i just because of the um 
the baggage that comes with that, that idea, that all the political baggage that comes with the idea of, of social contracts. And I don't think it's a, exact like a, a great analogy, but I I prefer this um, the phrasing social layer. And so what I kind of see as the social layer is this conversation that happens amongst Bitcoiners about what like what should go into the code. So if we're going to change the code, or we're going to talk about, especially when it comes to consensus rules in the code, um, that there's this social layer that sort of arrives at that decision through a social process of you know interaction between among humans, and then uh, we all you know apply like we have market forces then that kind of take over at that point and say, hey, um, do you all agree with this change? Kind of vote with your um, you know, use of this money or or moving to a different kind of money, right? So it's sort of a mix of like social and market forces. But I was trying to kind of figure out in my head, like, is this like, is there some kind of social layer, or is it really just a market forces, purely market forces that defines what Bitcoin is, right? And so, so I wrote back to Ansel, like, Bitcoin is a market. It's driven by market forces of human self interest. Um. But we define Bitcoin by code, and how like how do you describe that process? Like, is it social? Is there a social aspect to the definition of Bitcoin? To what how we decide what goes into the code base? Um, and and so anyway, Ansel push pushes back, and you can take it from take it from there. But eventually, Ansel convinced me <laughs> um, that I think we were kind of saying the same thing. Um, so yeah, yeah. I think okay. I think we are saying the same thing. I think we agree to an extent because um like I I almost want to separate it as two separate issues in my mind. So one issue is the objective uh properties of Bitcoin as they stand right now. And right. uh that I don't think there is a social consensus about that. I, I think that's objective truth, right? And mm-hmm. Um, but then there's then there's the consideration of upgrading Bitcoin, and yes, it does get into the realm of some sort of uh, social engineering and social consensus. Uh, but I think, and that's main main maybe because it's so small right now. But uh, eventually, uh, probably right now onward, uh, it is so big that it's just a market it's defined right. by uh people's per, people pursuing their own self-interest and yes markets are social by definition but that doesn't mean there's some social consensus and i, I like that phil jumped in with uh, a comment because it gave me an opportunity to uh call it a social disagreement it's not a social consensus because markets are um, like, if you think about it, to trade, we need to actually disagree on the value of things, right? So if I want, want uh, 10 gallons of gas from the, the gas station, they value that gas less than I do. And so, and I value the money less than they do or more than they do. No, wait. Yeah, less than they do. So um, that's that's how we trade because we have a disagreement on the value. Also, markets in general are not um, 
they uh, now I lost my train of thought. But anyway, their 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 social disagreement layers, um, and we all partake in it because we all have individual ends that we're pursuing. Oh, and uh, what I was going to say is a uh, market price. Market price. We don't all agree on market price. Like it, it, uh, the market price is simply the clearing price. But there are some people that would pay a lot more, and there's some people that would, wouldn't right. pay the market price. So uh, just because it's like the market price doesn't mean that we all are in consensus. It's we're actually all disagreeing. Every single person has a very unique. Value preference, and so um, I, I just I don't like I don't know why I brought this up today on Twitter, but uh, I I do not like the idea of calling it a social consensus, and I like Hasu; he's like the main guy mm -hmm. pushing this. Yeah, um, but at the same time, like there's <sighs> Bitcoin is Bitcoin; it's it's a market and it's objective truth the way it is, and uh, yeah, that's all I have to say. Yeah, I think I think the thing that was tripping me up is like, and and I, I put this in the thread too that there it seems to me like that there is some kind of social component to the process that produces the code that defines Bitcoin, and like gold doesn't have that process or such a process, right? We, I mean, gold is gold; it's defined by physics. We can't really change it. Um, although alchemy al alchemy tried pretty hard for a long time. Um, but Bitcoin does have this, and I think part of it is like this is kind of just a phase of Bitcoin because we we've been talking a bit more, uh, you know, amongst Bitcoiners about the idea of ossification. Like, when are we going to just is this protocol just going to you know the base layer is going to ossify and be unchangeable? And then at that point, yeah, then it is uh, objective truth, unchange like truly unchangeable. But it's kind of at this early in this early stage. It's at this point where there is some kind of uh maybe maybe some kind of influence on how it is uh defined in code because from uh from social interactions and social consensus um and that but i think what what ansel said like eventually is like this is really just the market market forces the invisible hand kind of creating a shelling point around the best money right the most saleable good. And that's what Austrians have been defining money as for a long time. Like this is how, this is the process. It's a market driven process. A market chosen money uh, tends toward one. We tend to choose the most saleable good. And that's really just what is happening, except we're doing it with code instead of already existing physical objects, you know, or commodities. Yeah. I think so many, uh, the market is magical and it's so magical. Like Adam Smith called the invisible hand. And, and even to this day, like, it's almost like you had to just, uh, uh, give in to this idea that the market knows best and all this stuff, because it's so damn complex. Central planning never works and all this other, all these other things. So, um, we're kind of re re discovering markets in a way. I don't know. It's, it's really weird, but I'm I'm so glad that you uh, push back on me because this is actually like <laughs> one of the topics I just live for. And I love this kind of uh, thinking about this stuff. And anyway, I, do, does anybody else have a comment on this or 
let me throw something crazy into the mix. Okay, have you all heard of Pi File System? No. Okay, so basically the underlying idea of Pi File System is it's basically Pi in binary form. And since Pi is an infinite irrational number, theoretically, if you created this Pi file system that was infinitely large and that it's in binary form, that it would actually contain all binary data that has ever existed or will ever exist. Does that make sense? Yep. Okay, so think about it this way. With that simple idea, I say it's possible we're thinking of the Bitcoin blockchain in, not necessarily incorrectly, but maybe in a limited way. What if the actual, this blockchain that Bitcoin is creating, which is a record of a lot of human activity, what if this blockchain eventually evolves into something that we really don't really even know what it is yet? Just as this Pi file system could possibly contain binary information that hasn't even been created yet, what if the blockchain, if we interpret it in a different way, because it is technically like a binary hexadecimal form what if in some you know not so distant future what if the blockchain could be compiled into a different piece of software or segments of it could be compiled into software right yeah man you're starting to sound like andrew desantis okay so check <laughs> so check this it's out a, it's all fractal man right i mean i could I go crazy Start feel like I'm starting to trip. Right, yeah. right. No, I mean, but this is, I mean, it's still, I'm not like reaching too far. I mean, and so what if the, what if the Bitcoin blockchain eventually evolved? Well, okay, like an operating system. You know, yeah. it has opcodes, you know, that, you know. So Randy, very, do, you, do, do you know about Andrew DeSantis? Uh, a, I don't think so. He's a Bitcoiner hacker. Um, yeah. And he's, I mean, he's just, he's kind of out there uh, in terms of his thinking, like, and he's, uh, he's been working on a, an operating system that's based on Bitcoin. He forked from the Genesis block. Okay. And call, he calls it Dios. Well, his last name is DeSantis. So, and plus it has a play on kind of like, god i guess with dio okay um, the okay. DOS, dos but it's like a dos deos for operating system and the okay. idea the idea is like it's an operating system that can't be you know that basically can't be hacked um it's but the most secure operating system in the world is his idea okay. so i don't really you know understand it fully and it's it's uh seems to be quite um Seems to be pretty well thought out, but he's sort of disappeared from Twitter. I don't know what he's doing right now. Um, well, he's so. he's more of a boy genius, I think, than Vitalik, honestly. Because yeah, I think he's I think he's really young. He's like twenty four or something like that. Yeah. And um, yeah, he's he's out there, but uh, and I I do agree that there's probably 
some weird shit that's going to happen with with Bitcoin and the data. But um, I that's that's so cosmic. It's it's way outside of my realm. Yeah, man. I, I had a, I've, I've spent a lot of a lot of hours reading his threads um, just because <laughs> talk about a rabbit hole to go down. And, and like you want to talk about some fun Bitcoin fiction like that, like his um, his account and then the, the Dios, the Dios accounts uh, that were he created on Twitter uh, or just like some of the best uh, sci-fi reading out there. Basically, it was just it was just amazing. Lots of what was, how do you spell that? How do you? The Dios or whatever? D-E-O-S, yeah. You can you can uh, Google. I, I think there might be still be some Dios uh, Twitter accounts out there. Like Dios, at Diosbot was one of the Twitter accounts. At Sirisys, uh, S-I-R-I-S-Y-S. Um, like that's fun reading right there. Like that's basically, that's some good sci-fi. <laughs> well, yeah, and here's the thing is like what I was talking about between like Pi file system, that's real. It's not sci-fi. Right. It, it's mathematically and theoretically sound. Right. And then, like, you know, part of, like, this thought was coming because I was, like, reading the Bitcoin, Programming Bitcoin by Jimmy Song, right? Yeah. And it, like, it reminded me of how operating systems work. You know, because he's go he went into the, like, mm -hmm. ma discrete mathematics, and then he, like, goes into you know, creating transactions and he discusses some op codes and all that stuff. And like going through the book, it just reminded me of it's just it works just like an operating system. It, there's there's not much different. It's a very low level operating system is what the op codes represent. It's just how, you know, how software is compiled and it in uh, it functions at the low like assembly lang language level it's the it does exactly the same thing with the 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 transaction stack which is just a string of data and then it gets parsed and then it gets interpreted and then it either mm -hmm. it, uh, i mean it's it's like a it like right now we understand it as Sort of a an oper an, a financial or economic operating system, uh, but yeah, I, to I I mean I totally agree that there's potential to use it use Bitcoin uh, in ways that are not just financial or economic and that we can't really comprehend yet. But yeah, it, is, right. it certainly isn't like an operating system, right? Yeah, like the the people that were wiring the streets uh, in New York City for light bulbs. They're running huge electric wires, tearing up the streets, laying those down like in the late 1800s. And could they have imagined what we see now? And that's that's only 100 years later. Imagine 100 years from now what Bitcoin is going to turn into. We, we can't even we can't even comprehend it. And but I think we will. I think we will. I think um, I, I'm not one of these people that are scared of the future like elon musk that <laughs> ai is like the biggest threat to humanity and stuff like that I, I don't think so i think um it's actually a very very bright future anyway i'll try to save some more crazy uh <laughs> tangents for next time or something because i can <laughs> go down some rabbit holes 
So, <laughs> well, does anybody have anything on um, the social layer? Uh, is is Bitcoin a social consensus? I guess my my only comments were um, about the once Bitcoin's you know the the once the protocols lock down on the base layer. I think that's when I'd agree that it's a objective truth. And um, I, I would just feel a lot more comfortable then. Um, I, do, I do find it kind of interesting to think about what, what's going on when code's being upgraded and, and the dynamics of it all. But I, I, really, I don't have anything to add to what you guys have already said. Oh, one thing I wanted to add real quick is um, remember the Bcash fork happened at $3,000. And is it a coincidence that that was the bottom? Like, uh, is huh. is that like some sort of certainty? Like, so when Bcash forked, we kind of like set maybe uh, Bitcoin's governance in stone or, uh, mm -hmm. you know, something like that. And so that that is the bottom. Yeah, it did. I think the protocol probably did get a little bit more uh, ossified a bit, you know, at that yeah. point. Because, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's like, all right, Bitcoin made a big choice here. And uh, now we know which way it's going to go. And with that uncertainty behind us and another step closer toward ossification, then, you know, there's kind of this like this base value is sort of like marked right there, you know. Yeah, it set a precedent for where how Bitcoin wants to scale moving forward and what changes it's willing to accept or, or its users are willing to accept. You ready for another crazy tangent? <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me throw it to you. Okay, like just in computer science, right? You know, we can look back through history and we can be in awe of the things that people accomplished with basically nothing you know we were able to whether we could debate whether we put people on the we created all this stuff and you know all these advances in technology but part of what's impressive is they were working within certain constraints you know we, we can look back and be amazed at that like you were able to do this with this level of technology and part of what made them the software engineers and hardware engineers is the constraints that they had. Okay, and then here's another idea with music. You know, music, we, there's a whole spectrum of notes and tonalities and et cetera. But part of what makes a certain form of music identifiable and beautiful is the constraints that the artist puts on themselves. You know, like a blues artist, it's not just the notes that he selects, but it's also the notes they don't select. And so mm -hmm. there's, an, there's a, a voluntary constraint that an artist puts on themselves to work within a certain style or whatever, right? Genre of music. Okay, so this kind of like gets into Bitcoin in a certain way because in this ties into like the one megabyte um, block size and all this stuff, right? Is part of what gives Bitcoin its identity 
is the constraint. Mm-hmm. It's so like this kind of because I I forget what the conversation or where I saw it, but like in the future, of course, we'll be able to enlarge or shrink the block size. But why not have a constraint and work within that constraint because of the genius that continues to come out of it? Just like the software and hardware engineers in like the they had to work within the constraints and the genius that came out of it. Why, why not in the future, like settle the debate by saying we're going to operate within these constraints because it's what gives Bitcoin its identity, but it's also a constraint that causes the future developers of it to have discipline and to be prudent, you know, right. like, it's you know you can read certain like how um mac the like apple computers were created like they had to count cycles they had to count bits right yeah i mean they they only had they had like you know 64k of ram or something to work with you know (laughs) yeah right and that constraint yielded ah right and so that's that if i would I don't, I don't know if I've ever heard anybody else make that type of argument, and I hope I was able to articulate it clearly, is the constraint, it can be changed, but what, we'd, what we would be giving up is Bitcoin's identity, just as forms of music have identity because of their constraints we would be sacrificing the, the identity or the, one of the characteristics that defines Bitcoin by changing the one megabyte constraint. Does yeah. that, I don't know if maybe I, I, maybe I just wasted a bunch of air, but like I, I was thinking about it from even like a couple weeks ago. And, no, and like, like the, just the, the principle that, that uh, constraint is important for innovation um makes sense and the constraint also has another important purpose which is to help preserve decentralization of the network yes. and that's uh you know obviously a critical component like that's what sets bitcoin apart from fiat money and right. that's, you have so. to you have to innovate within scarcity like um another part of uh this whole social consensus layer and all this stuff is that uh, the market is made up not only of humans, right? It's made up of scarce resources. And so humans innovate within inside of scarce resources. Mm -hmm. If there was no scarcity, we'd all just sit back, you know, with uh, seven virgins or whatever the thing is. So, um, yeah. this is, uh, yeah, we, we have to have scarcity for innovation. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up is the mandatory hard fork. So there is a mandatory hard fork for Bitcoin, um, coming up because there is some date issue or time issue that needs to be hard forked to be fixed. And it's that Bitcoin's Y2K problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is. And really, yeah, yep. it's like 2030s, 
Eight? I think it's oh yeah yeah yeah. Drop a link on that. I'd like to reread about that for a while. Yeah, yeah, it's been a while. I'll have to search for that. But yeah, that's that's coming up, and and so people are talking about all sorts of things. Um, this the most the hmm. most recent proposed soft fork is a cleanup soft fork. There's multiple things that they're cleaning up, but I think this hard fork uh, issue will probably come up. I'm guessing within eight years and it might come up within four years from now before the next happening or something. Um, well, as long as they, when they do do it, uh, if, if it's like just a simple necessary problem that, you know, everyone knows it could needs to be resolved similar to like Y2K being only two digits. We need to make it four, like nothing critical. It's not going to have a hard time getting consensus as long as they don't try. There's no companies who try to, you know, piggyback on that and shove something else in the code. That'll be what we need to be aware of or wary of. Where is that referenced? Where is this issue referenced? I'll I'll, uh, Google it and I'll drop it in the chat. Is it it on GitHub? Like one of the uh, issues? I'm sure there's there's something there. But uh, it's been talked about for... I, I, I didn't hear it before a year ago, so... I don't, I'm pretty sure they knew about it before that, but I, right. I hadn't seen it talked about, but I'll, I'll Google it and, and drop, drop a link. All right. You guys had enough for tonight. Sure. It's been like two hours. I think yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's midnight here. That's probably a good time to call it. All righty. Well, thanks for joining me. Um, I'll go down the list here uh, for final words it looks like uh christian i want i just want to thank christian for joining us he's from pov crypto he has a a really cool podcast where uh his co-host is a ethereum maximalist and he's a bitcoin maximalist so it's kind of fun to listen so he joined us and mr pause jumped out i hope next time he has a uh, uh, more time to talk with us he said he was kind of um multitasking during this but um I think he has a lot to add for us. And uh, yeah, let's just go down here. Brady, do you have any parting words for us? Uh, yeah, a quick shill for uh, my podcast, <laughs> Citizen Bitcoin. Um, the Matt O'Dell episode that dropped last week, if you haven't listened to it yet, um, it's breaking all the download records. Ran, oh, ran, right, ran right up the charts uh, to the most downloaded episode. And I uh, got Pierre Rochard on the calendar for March 29th. So that's in 10 days. Nice. We're going to do, we're going to uh, do a whole show on lightning stuff and Bitcoin 57. So that's going to be fun. Cool. Uh, DT, what's up, man? Yeah, actually Brady, it's funny you mentioned that I'm about uh, 20 minutes into that episode. So it oh, got, nice. got some of it while picking up my, my son tonight. So I'll catch the rest tomorrow at work. Um, yeah. Uh, Ansel, thanks a lot for doing this again. This is an awesome resource to anybody who happens to still be listening after two hours. Um, check out the <laughs> Discord. The Discord. A lot of this information gets dropped days in advance, like, and uh, it's such a good source. It's kind of like one of the first things I check anyway, for sure, for anything. So, thanks again. Cool. Uh, thanks for joining us, uh, Jeff. What's up, man? Yo, yo. Um, yeah, I second that. Get on Discord. Want to see more people on there? interacting we've got a pretty nice group on here already so i think it's pretty valuable and then uh sign up for ansel's uh bitcoin and markets report where i help him he does the content but i help him 
try to help them on the report. So sign up for that and give us any feedback. Should I fuck yeah, that up? You'll have to come. <laughs> that report's awesome. I'll give you some feedback. Good. Yeah, the, 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 the report's all. a must read. What's up, Randy? Randy, you're up oh. next, man. Hey, um, I guess uh, the uh, get cosmic on us. Get cosmic, right? Right? No, no, no. <laughs> I like the idea. The constraints help give Bitcoin its identity, and uh, we don't necessarily want to take changing those kind of characteristics lightly as far as uh changing the block size and this kind of thing um well it'd be it'd, it'd be kind of like uh changing laws of gravity right like um right. we we live within this world with certain rules and if you change something on us uh every six months then it, it's we're all we're all fucked up so um yeah i i think that's that was a very valid point I like the. I want to look into this time signature. Doing some research on some stuff like that a while back, and I'm kind of curious exactly what the issue is. Um, and I found some old Bitcoin stickers from like I don't even know when. So I posted those on Twitter. So check those out. I don't even know when they're from, but anyway, I'm having fun. I appreciate. Uh, you tolerating my craziness, so I'll talk to you soon. I'm here you're for your the, crazy, Randy. That was right. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You're, you're the cosmic one of the bunch. Uh, trust. Uh, what's going on, man? Do you want to say some closing words? Uh, nothing. Nothing to show. I'm just uh, uh, just about my name. I have nothing to do with the crypto space or anything. I just it's a long it's a name from a long time ago in 2014. I just thought I'd keep it but I have nothing to, no commercial or financial or work working in the crypto space. So no shilling or nothing. Well, you have some good, uh, good perspectives for us for sure. We're going to wrap it up there for this episode of Bitcoin banter. I want to thank all of the guests for joining me. They're not guests. They're community members. That would be Christian from POV Crypto, Randy, Jeff, Brady from Citizen Bitcoin, DT, Coin Icarus, Phil from Fun with Crypto Podcast, and Trust, and then finally Mr. Pause. So thanks everybody for joining. If you guys want to join the Discord, uh, check the link in the show notes. Last thing is sign up for the report, guys. Free, weekly, every Friday, full report of what's going on in the space in your inbox. Be on the lookout for a quarterly report. Information on that should be coming out soon. All right. See you next time. Peace.